Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Burlington. Uh, it's interesting how appreciate the Bible study listening in the background there. There's uh, I use that particular scripture for the Bible reading. Uh, which was used in the Bible study because it ties in, of course, with the message, as did one of, actually, really all the hymns and the um, the inspirational music that we had as well. Uh, the particularly the one that said, um, "His mercy never fails," which um, really is a theme from beginning of Scripture to its conclusion. When we approach these days. Uh, uh, the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread, we're asked to take the time um, before we ever come to the Passover evening to do a little personal evaluation um, to, to examine ourselves and to really be able to, with God's Spirit, to see inside ourselves, to see what it is that we need to do to, to make changes. All of us um, can do better. We can always do better, and that's the whole process of the Christian walk is a is this progress from our initial start in our walk to some level of spiritual maturity. One of the things that I've been doing in, in Kitchener, and I'll just uh, share a little bit of that, just one aspect of that with you today. We, were going th- we went through, basically, through the Beatitudes. And uh, really, when you look at the Beatitudes carefully and you examine each one of the Beatitudes... The seven, there's eight Beatitudes, but seven reflect on the character that God wants us to have. And they build, one builds on the, on the next. And it's, it's a, a kind of a cascading eventuality that brings us to a level of maturity that uh, final, is finalized with the one that says that, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God, or they should be called children of God. I better read my Bible rather than try to quote off the top of my head. But I want to focus on just one particular one. But before I do that, I'm going to want you to go with me to Deuteronomy 5 and verse 29. Because um, Brother Jan talked about the aspect of obedience pivotal to our receiving the promises of God and, and justifiably so. The thing that holds us back from following through with the recommendations, the directives and the commandments and the statutes and the judgments of God has to do with our heart. It has to do with our heart. And we read here as God laments a particular uh, reality that was part of what was happening in, in Israel at that time. And he says, oh, oh, you can just kind of visualize because God is a God of emotions. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me, that is to respect and and be in awe of me, and always keep my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. So we have, uh, there's a lot here that we can glean from this, is that in order for us to really be in awe of God and to be obedient to His will, we have to have a right heart. And I can't think of a better place to look than in the Beatitudes in, in Matthew 5 
at these characteristics that reflect the heart of a true Christian, the heart of a true Christian. Turn with me to Matthew 5. These, these um, principles that are reflected here are foundational, not only to the kind of character and the kind of lifestyle that God requires of us, but, but foundational to our salvation uh, in itself. So Matthew 5, and I'll preface this by saying that it is only by means of God's Holy Spirit working with us that we will ever achieve these phenomenal characteristics that are outlined here by Jesus Christ. Here Jesus on the mount speaks to the masses and the things that he has to say to them of course, are not just relevant to those people that are there to hear what he has to say. Many of them were there because they wanted to experience healing and see the miracles. Some of them were there just because they were curious. But he spoke to them words that echo through the centuries, right down to our very day. It is. It would be wonderful if we could sit there and actually have been there and heard Jesus speak. But his authority carries to this very day, and we have his word with us. Now, it's too bad that, you know, I don't have the credentials to be able to convey these things in the way that Jesus Christ could. But his words are there. They're his words, and I can be a, a servant of his in, 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 in bringing them to you and encouraging you to look at these very, very special sayings. Some people refer, I've read some of the commentaries, they refer to this as the Magna Carta of the New Covenant. That these words that that Jesus spoke were the Magna Carta of the New Covenant. In Matthew 5, and what I'll do here is read through all of the Beatitudes because they all relate to one another. And and, um, in one sense, the former Beatitude is a prerequisite almost almost always as we go through here to to the next Beatitude. I'll begin in verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up in, on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. The word blessed, um, you may know, uh, is a Greek word, makarios. And it conveys, we, the word blessed to us, maybe in our modern terminology, doesn't convey what is meant here. Uh, blessed has to do with... Uh, a deep sense of inner joy. Uh, it's, it's more than happiness. Happiness conveys something a little more superficial, a little more flippant, a little more um, transient. But this blessedness that, that Christ is talking about here is a wonderful joy that's deep-seated, that is not dependent on the physical situation that... that uh, Either any one of us has to deal with on a regular basis. So regardless of your circumstances, you can feel this inner joy. Partly because of the blessings that it, it conveys or is uh, it, it, um, it, the things that are a result of obeying these particular uh, precepts or having them inculcated within us. 
but also because of the promises that they offer. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Every one of these has a promise that looks to a future reality. But the joy is present. The future reality is something that we look forward to. And that particular hope and that promise, that sure promise, is what brings this joy to us. So blessed is the word makarios that uh, sometimes we don't fully grasp as we read through this. Blessed are those who mourn. In fact, a lot of the things we look at here seem counterintuitive. They don't seem like, you know what, joyful are those who mourn. Well, the reality is that when we look at that in depth, the word mourn there has to do with um, not just a sympathy for others, but a deep-seated desire to repent and to change. And so so the the idea and the concept that Jesus Christ is bringing across do not conflict, although they would on the surface appear to, to be so. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Those are the seven characteristics that, uh, in, in, in the, the uh, character that we are looking at today, is primarily the one, not, uh, verse 7, where it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, when we look at this particular characteristic, I have to believe in my own heart that this is probably the single most significant characteristic. Now, mercy, and really if you look at many of these characteristics, they revolve around the characteristic of love. And love is a multifaceted um, concept for us to understand. And mercy is just one of those concepts. Uh, we, when you read through um, Galatians 5, you look at all the different qualities that are tied up in the word love. Joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, all of these characteristics. But mercy, mercy is, seems to be central to the very nature of God and really central to the, to the plan of God as well. Now, I, I say that, I, I guess you might say, well, how do you, how do you come to that conclusion, Rick? And um, I do that because... I think certain certain biblical scriptures would lead us to that conclusion. Let me turn with you to Micah 6. Turn with you to Micah 6, please, and verse 6 to, 6 to 8. With what shall I come before the eternal and bow myself before the the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, with thousands of rams or ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? In other words, shall I give everything to you in in, in honor of you as as an offering? He has shown you, O man, what is good. Here are the central core desires God wants to have in each one of us. What does the Lord require of you? To do justly? To love mercy? 
and to walk humbly with your God. That's in a nutshell, God is saying, hey, this is at the heart of what it, what it is to be a, a, a believer and a follower of me. And if you want to do my will, you want to please me, then, then you will do these things. You will be these things. And one of those includes to love mercy. If you turn with me to Matthew 23, maybe the greatest denunciation of religious leaders that we read in the scripture is here in Matthew 23, where he talks about the hypocrites, the the facade they put on, the appearances that they put on. And in he comes to this verse in chapter in chapter 23 and verse 23 where again he gives a synopsis of the things that really count that really are weightier matters woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you pay tithe of mint anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law there are weightier matters of the law justice mercy and faith very similar to what we read in Micah 6. These you ought to have done. In other words, the little things that you did, that you practiced in your, in your, in your life, are, that's great. I'm glad you're doing that. But not with the, at the neglect of the weightier matters, the things that really count in life. Things that really count to me. These ought to have done without leaving the others undone. And then he goes on to call them hypocrites because they, they do all of these things because they really want to appear special in the eyes of those people who looked, who looked up to them. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Again, I'm just quoting these scriptures because I want to emphasize how important this quality of mercy is. Hebrews 4. Not that you should doubt it, but just to confirm it with you. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. The word sympathize has to do with mercy. The word grace has to do with mercy. Whenever you see the word mercy in the scripture, if you were to go to concordance, go on your computer, print in mercy, and look at all the scriptures that have mercy, how often you would find the word grace in there, or gracious, or full of compassion, that's that that is these are words that are linked together and we look we looked at the, look at the meaning of these words and let me just finish this these verses here before I carry on here who was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need grace and mercy are are linked together in a way that is inseparable. They're part and parcel of the same basic mentality, concept, and character that we're looking at. I looked, at the, I looked up the different words in the Greek and the Hebrew. 
And there are several words that are used, and I, I, I would go into that, but I'm afraid that if I went through all of that, you'd probably find yourself a little bit bored. The reality is I can put things into a bit of a nutshell here, and have, having gone through that. But if you do that, it's an interesting study. There are different words in the Hebrew for the word um, mercy. Um, there are different words for the word, the difference between mercy and merciful. It's interesting when you go through that the word compassion, full of compassion is often used. The scripture that Daniel read talks about the character of God and having, and if we, I mean, I'll just turn there briefly. And uh, I didn't have it in my notes, but because uh, Brother Jan read it, I thought, well, I'll just include that. Exodus 34. And this is, this is very, very characteristic of the description of God. Very characteristic. In verse 6, I'll just I'll abbreviate that here, verse 6 and 7. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, the eternal God, Yahweh, Elohim, merciful and gracious. The words go together almost every time. Merciful and gracious and abounding in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for a thousand and forgiving iniquity, transgre- uh, iniquity and transgression of, and sin. We're talking about grace here, which is coupled with, with mercy. You could look in Jonah. Jonah was beside himself because he was sent to the, to the city, this wicked city of Nineveh, violent, violent city. And the reason he was so reluctant to go there because he was afraid that this merciful, compassionate, gracious God would change his mind and not destroy the city. He was going there to condemn the city, but in the back of his mind he said, I know God, and he knew God well. You know, the thing is about God is that he's so merciful and gracious and compassionate that if they repent, I'm sure that God will change his mind. And then eventually, of course, we know he he goes there and and in some ways, to, to his um, dismay, of course, that's a bad characteristic on the part of, of Jonah. They did repent. But it talks about there about him being gracious and merciful. And, and we, we applaud that. We love that because we know that we need that. But, but Jonah obviously didn't come to that conclusion. He didn't, he didn't draw the next step there. He didn't want them to be merciful and gracious to Nineveh. But I'm sure he wanted God to be merciful and gracious to him, and he was. Because with, Nina's, Nina, with uh, Jonah's attitude that he had, really, really a, a pretty sad attitude, you think God would have really chastised them, and he didn't. He was patient with them. He talked to him. He even had this little miracle take place with this gourd that grew, and then it, and then it shrunk up, and then it was just a lesson that God provided a miracle to try to teach Jonah the fact that he was a gracious God and that it was important for Jonah to understand that and to actually have the kind of sympathy and the empathy that was necessary as a prophet of God. Um, and so we have all of that happening in, in the book of Jonah. Uh, but the word, the word um, mercy is often related to the word compassion. Now, the word compassion, an English word that we have, is composed of two separate um, words themselves have a compound word calm which has to do with the word with if you go back to the original probably the Latin I'm not sure now you can correct me if I'm wrong um, and passion 
the word passion, we think of passion in our own language as somebody's passionate about something. But the word passion, we have to think of it in terms of the passion of Christ. The passion of Christ is the suffering of Christ. When we talk, this time of year, when we look at the passion of Christ, we talk about the suffering of Christ. And that's what this word means. Compassion is to, to have, to suffer with the other person. It's getting in the other person's skin and to understand where they're coming from. There's, something has happened in their life and you have this sense of mercy which is really getting in, into their skin. You know, there's an old saying that if, you know, before you judge somebody, uh, walk a mile in their moccasins. Uh, uh, a native Canadian or native American, I'm not sure which, saying. Uh, and, uh, and how true that is. If you just are able to understand where that person is coming from, then you can have this, you can suffer with them. Scriptures that bring that out clearly, this, the meaning of this word, are Hebrews 13 and verse 3. Turn with me to Hebrews 13. We're just over a few pages from where we were. In verse 3, and I'm just taking this right out of context, but the meaning is relevant here. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them that's compassion it's as you you understand you feel their pain in this case their incarceration and those who are mistreated since you yourselves are in the body also so the 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 meaning of the second part could be twofold it can mean that we're human beings we should understand what it's like to be mistreated we're physical human beings so that's what the body could mean here or it could mean that you're going to be suffering the persecution as part of the body of Jesus Christ. So in that regard, you need to be also empathetic. And, and uh, maybe the word empathetic is a, is a more powerful word than, than sympathetic, uh, compassionate, and, and, and feel what these people are feeling. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 26. Here it's talking about the body of Christ. And how this body is to work together so that it would work effectively. And ultimately, as we come to the, to the conclusion of this, because it has a lot to say here, we honor every, every aspect of the body we honor because it all has a function. But when we get down to this, this, chap, this verse down here in chapter 12, in verse 26, if one member suffers... All the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, on the corollary of that, one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. In other words, we feel the whatever it is that the other person is going through, we understand and we feel what they're going through. That's what mercy is all about. And really, if we go to the next chapter, because Paul goes on to say at the very close of this chapter, chapter that, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Even if we do go through the rituals of expressing some of these concerns as a Christian, if it isn't founded on love, if it isn't founded on love, it doesn't count for anything. In verse, in verse 3, And though I bestow my goods to feed the poor, and, you know, James, I, I won't go there, but in James... One, it says that pure religion 
is to take care of the widow and the fatherless and to remain unstained from the world. But here it says that even if you take care of the widow, even if you take care of the fatherless, even if you send money to the various countries where there is famines like we have in, in Africa, or you're, you're, you're always there to be able to assist somebody, if you do all of that, but it isn't motivated for the right reason, it doesn't count for anything. And though I bestow my goods to, to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, even though I, I, I become a martyr, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So this whole concept of, of uh, mercy, this, these pr- principles of mercy, are really founded on love. And if they're not motivated by love, then really that's not what mercy is all about. Mercy is, um, is a characteristic. That's one facet. And really there are different facets even of mercy itself. Um, one facet is that we just discussed here. It has to do with care and compassion. When you saw what happened in Syria just the other day, I think it was Thursday, where um, the Syrian government gassed used these chemical chemical warfare. And when you looked at the pictures and saw those children on TV, if your heart wasn't stirred by that, if you weren't torn by that because of mothers holding their children as they were writhing in pain and couldn't breathe, then then you need to ask God to help you to, to experience the kind of... Um, I mean, I, I experience anger as well as there's a deep-seated hurt that was within me to see that ha- take place. To do that is the, 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 is the antithesis of what mercy is. To, to, to commit this such an offensive act is, is really the antithesis of, of what it is to be merciful. And we should really feel deeply when we see something like, like that and uh, uh, taking place now in this world. And that's not an uncommon thing. We see the suffering in Africa with all of the people starving because of the famines in Africa. Our hearts should go out. We shouldn't be, our hearts should not be hardened because we see it so much. Our hearts should be tender and we should feel for those people. But there's another aspect to... There's another aspect to mercy that involves forgiveness. So there, there's the, the aspect of care and concern and, and a, a sense of deep um, empathy for those who are suffering. But there's another aspect to mercy, and I'm sure that, there, as I mentioned before, that mercy is multifaceted. But the other aspect of mercy that I want to discuss is the aspect of forgiveness. How do we... Let me just let me just um, talk a little bit about how do we develop. We talked about mercy. How, do, how does this does this just something that we ask God and it happens? Uh, I don't think so. I think God's Holy Spirit works with us with our experiences. Now, in Second Corinthians one, I'm going to just turn there with you briefly. Second Corinthians one in verse one. We see this, this aspect of this great, wonderful God and His Son, Jesus Christ, who are 
the epitome of mercy. We read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. And now we get a little bit of an inkling on how we can become more merciful. If you ask God to help you to be more merciful, I think this is probably what's going to happen to you. You may want to be careful. (laughs) Who comforts us in all our tribulation, God allows us, or maybe he even might be the orchestrate difficulties in our lives. That when we come through that, that we may be able to comfort those who are in, in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. When we go through these difficult trials and God comforts us, wow, we learn a little something about not only about the graciousness and the mercy of God, but we learn a little bit about the, the, how it is to suffer ourselves and in so experiencing that suffering. If you want to know what it's like to be to have somebody um, be concerned with you because you are having an issue with drugs, I bet you if you if you met somebody that had dealt with that, had struggled with that, had overcome that, God had mercifully released them from that bondage, and you talked to that person, I bet he he or she would be able to help you and empathize with you better than someone who had never had never had an issue with drugs in their lives in their life now i'm not suggesting that we go out this is not suggesting that god will lead us into something like that that would be a mistake to say that but just to say that when we have trials and difficulties so maybe that example isn't a good example but if we have trials and difficulties in our life and hardship when somebody's going through something let me give you a better example although that still has some validity in one sense but not that God would want that to, for us to go through. I want to share with you a very personal experience. Now, some of you know this story already because I've said it before. This, is a, this was a, a, what I would call one of the very defining moments in my own life, a very, 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 very significant time in my life and my wife's life too. But I would say this, that... Um, Uh, well, let me let me just tell you the story. You've heard it. Some of you have maybe heard this before, but because this is this is so important in my own life, almost almost every day, I, w- I, w- I would be probably not telling the truth if I said every day, but almost every day, I've I give God thanks for something that happened almost 40 years ago, 38 years ago. Yeah, I guess it's 38 years ago now. Um, our son was born with a congenital heart condition called Tetralogy of Fallot. And doctors wanted to do surgery very, very early on in life because they told us that um, if, he, if we didn't do that, the chances of him just dropping dead were significant. Uh, I, I really felt that Christ was going to return soon. So I thought, um, I don't want to put him through that because if we're talking 40 years ago, very extensive heart surgery, open heart surgery, where they, you know, they cut open your chest, they pull the, the chest cavity open, and then do the open heart surgery on a little child. Um, early on, he was just maybe a year or so old when they wanted to do the surgery. 
but I postponed it. But then I came to the realization that I needed to, we needed to do something. And, of course, you do all of that through consultation and prayer, and, and so there's a lot involved. But um, when he had his surgery, um, which I can't give you all the details because it would, we'd be here for a long time, but while he, just after the surgery, um, uh, some, an event took place where his heart stopped. And actually, I was going to bring the two little wires. I still have the two wires that were connected to his heart that uh, would trigger his heartbeat again if, if it stopped, accident, not accidentally, but through the course of, re, of the post-surgical effects. So his heart stopped, and, uh, and then this pacemaker takes over. And we... Back then, they didn't let you stay with your child. They sent you home, and you didn't sleep all night, and you would call in and say, how are things going? And they'd say, well, everything's going fine. So we didn't know anything of that. But God really did want me to know. So one day, he was there in intensive care for a number of days. I was standing in the hall, and you can say by chance, I don't believe it for a minute, the doctor that was in the room, like we didn't even know that his heart had stopped. The doctor that was in the room at the time, who was the doctor in charge of the uh, operating or the uh, intensive care, happened to be standing there. And I struck up a conversation with him. And he said, oh, by the way, because I told him who I was and my son was in there. He said, by the way, I was the one that was there at the time that your, your son's heart stopped. And um, I'm going to just pause there for just a minute. Um, I can remember that through the course of those nine hours of surgery, which really, um, if you want time to stop, uh, nine hours seemed like uh, 100 hours, especially when they told you it was going to be an eight-hour surgery. That last hour was like an endless period of time. Uh, I had prayed to God and prayed to God, please, um, you know, spare my son. And uh, I was afraid of that. <laughs> so, so, um, because I just felt that as a, a man who really fell short of the glory of God, I, di- I didn't deserve his mercy. But I opened up the Bible. I asked God to show me a scripture. I'll have you turn there with me to Psalm 103. I didn't know my Bible, so, you know, I just, I just asked God, please show me a scripture. So I, I, I opened up my Bible, and I came to Psalm 103. And as I thread, as I read through this particular scripture, and I'm going to read through it with you. God, God spoke to me, most certainly spoke to me. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Imagine that, a eh? 40 years later, and I'm still breaking up. That's hard to believe, isn't it? But those things never leave you. And, and the graciousness of God... Um, has not been forgotten. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Forgive, for who forgives all your iniquities? I needed to know that. 
who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindnesses and tender mercies. Notice the, the, the combination of words, loving kindnesses and tender mercies. This is, the, this is the character of the God we worship, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your, mouth is, your, your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Here we go again. The grace of God, the mercy of God, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. I needed to hear that. And you do too. I need to be reminded of that. He will not always strive with us. Nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. I needed to hear that. Nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as heavens are as high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. God couldn't have led me to a a more relevant, significant scripture. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed transgressions from us. This is so relevant to this time of year, brethren. As a father pities his children. You see those children that have been gassed and their parents mourning over them? God loves us even more than that. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those Who fear him, those who respect him, those who honor him, those who reverence him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. We're just human beings. We're fallible. We make mistakes. And as long as we keep striving to do what his will is, God will continue to forgive us. As for man, his days are like the grass and as a flower of the field. So he flourishes for the wind passes over it and it is gone. Wow, it's so true. You young people won't know that, but for those of us, as we get a little older, you recognize how fast life goes, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. And those who fear him and his righteousness to the children's children, to such as keep his covenant to those who remember his commandments to do them. Again, combination of God's love and mercy towards us and our response out of love for him and obedience. And the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you, his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you, his hosts. Excuse me, his hosts. You ministers of his who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works. In all places of his dominion, bless the Lord, O my soul. And yes, we do. We offer our deep awe and praise to the eternal God who is the source of all good things. I'll finish the story. So God wanted me to know that that event took place. So he put me there with that doctor, and the doctor explained to me that there had been a number of issues, but... My son basically died. Adam basically died. And the pacemaker took over. But there's limited time that you can have a person on a pacemaker, and then eventually that's that's pretty well it for you. You can only be on the life support system for a little while. But he said, you know, something happened to me. He said, 
something came to mind. Imagine that. He said, something came to my mind. And I thought about using this particular drug. And so they injected him with this drug, or maybe it was through intravenous, and he responded to it right away. Do I think that was by chance? Of course I don't. Now, you hear this and you say, well, maybe it was by chance, maybe it wasn't. But I know in my own heart that that was not by chance. And he said, on top of that, which is another story in itself, he said, the little girl after him had the same thing happen to her. And, she, and he said, if it wasn't for Adam and us discovering the fact that we could use this drug to revive him, um, she would have died too. So he was kind of boasting to me because he had thought of this particular drug to use it. And, um, and I thought to myself, well, it's great that you were there, but we know who put that thought in your, in your mind. What did I learn from this? I learned about the mercy of God in two ways. First of all, that he understands that I'm a frail human being and I will fall short of the glory of God from time to time. And he spared my son, but he didn't spare his. And that did not fall by the wayside. The other thing that, uh, and, I, and I'll let you think about that, he spares us time and time and time again in your life and in my life. God has performed miracles in one way or another. You know your personal experiences with God. You know the things that have happened where God's intervened on your part. But the greatest miracle of all, the greatest act of mercy of all, is the fact that he gave his son for us. While we were in the hospital, we, got, we were visited by... Um, various people, and I'm going a little, a little on the, I'm, I'm ad-libbing here a little bit, but uh, it was interesting who came to visit us. The one couple had lost their daughter who had died to some kind of a hepatic condition. Um, nine months after she was born, she died. They were there always for us. Why? Because the experience that they had, they empathized, they, they had compassion, they suffered with us. Sometimes it takes suffering to really comprehend what it is what others are going through. And if you think that principle, well, let me put it this way, that principle has great validity because if Jesus Christ had to suffer in order to be our high priest, let's just turn there to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4. You see, Christ died while we were yet sinners. Isn't that an amazing statement? Before we actually had turned to him, he, God gave his son for us. Hebrews 4. Okay. I just read that scripture. Let's go to Hebrews 2. but I'm not following my notes very carefully, so I'm sorry, brethren. But I'm going to read this scripture because it's important. As soon as I find it.
It says in verse 10, chapter 2, verse 10, and I'm going to, there's a couple of scriptures that I want to look to, but this is... Let's begin in verse 9. For we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned in glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it is fitting for him, for whom all things, and by whom all things, are all things, in bringing the many sons to glory, to make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. He made, Christ was made perfect through suffering. There in verse 17, therefore in all things he, he, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all, in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Through Christ's suffering, he learned something. Can you believe that Christ learned something through his suffering? You almost think that, oh, he wouldn't have to learn this. But in fact, the Bible tells us that he learned, that he might be more merciful, that he might be more compassionate, that he might understand us. Because really, the only way that God, that Jesus Christ can can come to the point of being our high priest is to really understand who we are, because he's our advocate. He goes before God. He's the one who represents us and and uh, and petitions on our behalf to God. And so we know that Christ suffered, that he might be our high priest, that he might be the kind of merciful and faithful high priest that he is for us today. I won't turn to Romans 6, verses 6 to 8, but, well, let's go there. Let's go there. I'm going to say for the sake of time, but sometimes for the sake of time, it's not, it's not worth um, skipping a scripture. Romans Five verses six to eight. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's Romans five verses six to eight. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated His own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Nothing compares to the nothing that God has ever done for for us or anything that we've ever experienced compares to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I'm going to have you turn with me to First John four and verse seven. First John four and verse seven. through most of this here because it really testifies to the love of God and how that should be expressed in our life. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God for God is love. And just think of mercy as one facet of that great love. In this in, in this, the love of God was manifest towards us, 
that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. If we really want to uh, show our love towards God, it extends to our fellow man and particularly to our brothers and sisters in Christ. If we don't extend love to our brothers and sisters in Christ, then really we not are not appreciative. We do not fully understand the love of God. In verse 19, I'm going to skip down here. We love him because he first loved us. God is the one who initiated his great, great love for us by having given his son for us. How does that how is that expressed? in the way we treat one another. Well, let's look at a scripture. Just turn with me to Matthew 18. Because I think this says a great deal about how we are to treat one another. It has to do with judgment. That's the other aspect of mercy that we're looking at. Judgment. And there, the, this is a parable. The parable of the unforgiving servant, or you could say the parable of the unmerciful servant. And Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. He thought he was being very generous and gracious here. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times but up to 70 times 7, 490 times, if you take it literally, the reality is, though, of course, he's saying that this, it's, it's an unending willingness to forgive others. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. We're talking about a phenomenal amount of money here. But as he was not able to pay his master, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. And the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. In other words, be merciful. Be merciful for, for, with me. and Give me a little time and I'll take care of it. And then the master of the servant was moved with compassion. He felt for this person. He put himself in his place and he felt for this person. He said, and released him and forgave him the debt. All of this is referring to the grace of God, of course. The spiritual lesson here is that God has taken this huge debt. The wages of sin, the wages of sin is a death. That's the debt. And Christ paid that debt for us. God paid that debt for us through Jesus Christ. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, very small amount of money. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. And so this, so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, 
Have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison until he should pay the, he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had, had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the tormentors or the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. And so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from uh, so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his own heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. There's a powerful lesson here. God has extended his grace to us in a way that we can't possibly imagine the cost to God the Father and to Jesus Christ and now he's asking us to extend our mercy towards our, our fellow man to our brothers and sisters in Christ surely surely we can do that look in Luke 6 with me please Luke 6 and verse 36 there's one frightening scripture that I'm going to take you to in a minute but let's speak, look at Luke 6 and 40, verse 46 36 sorry therefore be merciful just as your father also is merciful judge not and you shall not be judged you know, when we read in, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about we need to judge ourselves. If we judge ourselves, God will not judge us. It's not for us to judge others. We haven't walked in their shoes. It's not for us to judge others. We can understand. Judgment can be made on the act, but judgment can't be made in the, sermon, in the form of condemnation. Murray talked about the various meanings of the word Judge, judge, judging. But this mentality of condemnation, when you couple it with judging, this is what we're talking about here. And it, it goes on to say, Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Well, let's, let's just conclude right there. The fact is that if we don't show mercy to others by not condemning them not judging them God's not going to extend that to us it's as simple as that we read that in the Lord's prayer as well the the um, prayer that we use as a template that we're to forgive others as we would have God forgive us and if we don't forgive others it says God will not forgive us if we don't extend mercy to others God will not extend mercy to us blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. The, word, the, the, the book, the, the, uh, rather the verse that I want to turn to here, that is um, a little frightening. Uh, and I want to just turn there with you to, to Hebrews 10 and verse 19. God does not want us to act out of fear, but 
We need to be aware of certain things. That when we go... This is probably not the, word, the, the, the verse I'm looking for. Let's, let's, let's not go there. We can discuss that after maybe, after services. Um, let's just go to this. Let's just read this verse here. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with an, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order that we stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling together, the assembling together as is, is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. So if we, if we really want to um, develop the characteristics that God wants in us, God is saying that we need to be spending time with people of like-mindedness. And that's what we're being told here. Spending time of, with people of like-mindedness. So when we um, accept the fact that Jesus Christ uh, died for us, when we recognize the phenomenal cost that was involved in the sacrifice of Christ, it behooves us to respond not only in response to God to want to be obedient to him, but our, our love for our fellow man and to, to do the things and respond in a way that um, would express gentleness and kindness, forgiveness, patience, all of those things. And actually, let me just conclude with uh, Colossians 3 in verse 12 and 13. I think is a fitting conclusion to a message that deals with mercy. Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, as the elect of God, those he's called now at this time, the first fruits, holy and beloved, a treasure, as we heard in the, in the study, a treasure, a holy priesthood, beloved, put on, put on tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Being gracious, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. But above all th- these, th- these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.